0: And once again, good morning. Can I have you turn through me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. We are in the Gospel of Matthew here at Calvary on Sunday morning. We are working our way right through verse by verse. We are in chapter 6, which is the really the middle chapter of a three-chapter sermon that Jesus gave from a mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, And in the latter half of Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching on the proper attitude towards material things, first toward luxuries in verses 19 to 24, and then in the section we are currently in, which we'll finish today, verses 25 to 34, he is dealing with the proper attitude toward necessities. And so let's read verses 25 to 34 once again. For Jesus said, therefore, and he's speaking to his disciples now. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, six times in this section, Jesus commands us not to worry which becomes the theme of this passage. As I said last week, some people are not happy unless they're worrying. They have elevated worry to an art form. And many of them echo the sentiment of one author I read who said, when I have nothing to worry about, I begin to worry about that. But look, you know, we know worrying is not a laughing matter. It has some very devastating physical and psychological consequences attached to it. We all know the problems associated with stress brought on by worry. Things like heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, and so on. So it is a very damaging thing. But aside from all the physical and psychological problems associated with worry, it also has some profound spiritual consequences attached to it as well. You know, the Bible, as we studied last week, and we're just reviewing quickly, the Bible says that worry for the child of God is a sin. Why is it a sin? Because you are distrusting God's promises, which means you're calling into question God's character. You're saying to God, Lord, I know what you've promised in your word, but I just don't believe you're going to come through for me. That's a serious thing. The English word worry comes from an old German root that meant to choke or to strangle. And that's exactly what worry does. It's a kind of mental... And emotional strangulation, which probably, as I've already said, probably causes more mental and physical afflictions in this country and around the world than any other single cause. But worry will also, as a child of God, worry will also cut off the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life and rob you of your peace, your joy, your fruitfulness, your growth, your blessings, and even your fellowship with God. Very serious thing. Now, We human beings are prone to worry about all kinds of things. Big things, little things, foolish things, and serious things, but nothing more so than basic things. Basic things. Things like food and drink, clothing and shelter. Now, as we started to look at last week, how do you overcome worry? Do we overcome worry by spending years in therapy, learning how to overcome worry? No, I think it's a lot easier than that. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you overcome worry by increasing your faith. The more your faith increases, the more worry will decrease. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so when it comes to trusting God, having faith in God to provide our basic necessities, we first have to know what he's promised with regard to basic necessities, right? That's pretty elemental. One of the classic passages in the Bible that teaches us what God has promised to provide for his children in the way of basic necessities is the one before us this morning. It starts out with a command from Jesus that we must not worry or be anxious about our physical necessities. See at the beginning of verse 25? He said, therefore I say to you, do not worry. And from there, then the Lord proceeds to give four reasons why we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. And I'll I'll read them to you right now. We studied the first one in detail last week. We'll finish up the other three this morning. But here they are. Worrying about physical needs, first of all, degrades our fullness, denies our Father, denigrates our faith, and destroys our future. Now, let's review the first one again quickly. First of all, worrying about the physical degrades our fullness. And by that I mean the fullness of all God has created us to be. Again, verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Listen, is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? See, worrying about and focusing on our physical needs degrades the fullness of all that God has created us to be. The dictionary defines the word degrade in part as, and I'm quoting now, to demote, or to lower to an inferior or less effective level. When we become preoccupied with the cares of this life and I'm thinking about our basic necessities now, we rob ourselves of all the fullness God intended for our lives and we lower ourselves to an inferior and less effective level. Now this is what we we really looked at this in detail last week. But let me just review quickly. We know that the Bible teaches that in the beginning God created man and woman, of course, in his image and after his likeness. God is a triune being, a father, son, and Holy Spirit. And he created man a triune being of spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is what connected us to God. We came together, our spirit to God's spirit, for the purpose of communion and fellowship and worship. Very important. But then Satan took the form of a serpent and beguiled Eve, and she ate the forbidden fruit, and she gave to Adam, and he did eat. And God said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, they didn't die physically immediately, although they did set in motion the process of physical death. What died immediately was their spirit. It severed the, Because their spirit died, they were severed from fellowship with God. Their nature, which was now two-dimensional instead of three-dimensional, was flipped upside down and now the body became uppermost and man's soul or consciousness lived only to satisfy the body appetites. At that point, man had more in common with the animal kingdom than he did as somebody who had communion with God. Because the animal kingdom is a two-dimensional kingdom. Animals have a body and a consciousness. And their consciousness pretty much exists to satisfy the body appetites. I mean, animals live to procreate, to eat, and that's pretty much it, okay? It's all about the physical. And Jesus is saying, look, when you focus only on your basic needs, like an animal, you rob yourself of the fullness of God. what God created you to be. We were created to be worshipers. Animals were created on the sixth day, but the crowning work of God's creative work was mankind. God only made man in His image and after His likeness. Only man has the capacity to worship God and enjoy Him forever. Only man in in his three-dimensional being is able to really relate to God and worship the Lord. And that's what he's after. He wants true worshipers, Jesus said in John chapter 4. You can't be a true worshiper until you're first born of the Spirit. That's what it means when you give your heart to Christ. At that moment, you're born again. Your Spirit comes alive. Your nature is flipped right side up. And you are now reconnected with God in the area of the Spirit for fellowship, communion, and worship. The Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. That is the highest purpose for our existence. And sometimes we, even we Christians, can, you know, even though we are now restored to our three-dimensional being and existence, even we can sometimes think like those lesser creatures in God's creation where we become so worried about our basic needs we lose sight of the fact that we were created more than just to survive. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, is that all that life's about, Jesus is saying? Survival, existence, are human beings no different from the animal kingdom having no higher purpose to fulfill than to just worry about their body appetites and so on? Jesus is saying no. You were made for a higher purpose, and that is to worship God. See, we need to remember that the body is only a vehicle for our spirit to live in. The body is to be used, not worshipped. Taking care of, yes, but not made the focus of life. The body was made by God for God. For his purposes, which is why Jesus challenges his disciples on this with the statement is, not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now, we looked at this in more detail last time, so I encourage you to get the CD if uh, you weren't here. But moving into the second reason why we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. First of all, it degrades our fullness. Secondly, it denies our Father. Starting in verse 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? In these verses, Jesus gives us three common sense and yet compelling reasons why we can trust our Heavenly Father to take care of our physical needs. First of all, he feeds the birds of the air, verse 26. Secondly, he has total power over the length of our lives, verse 27. And finally, he clothes the lilies of the field, verses 28 to 30. Now, with regard to food and clothing, Jesus is saying, let nature be your teacher. Listen, the logic is so simple and yet so powerful. If the father cares for that which is least in his creation by feeding birds and clothing flowers, how much more will he take care of those who are his children? And then he adds the gentle rebuke, O you of little faith. You know, that phrase is used four other times in the New Testament. Luke twelve twenty eight with regard to clothing. Matthew eight twenty six where the disciples thought they were going to drown in a storm on the Sea of Galilee, so they were worried about the length of their life. In Matthew 14, verse 31, when Peter thought he was going to drown as he walked to the Lord in the Sea of Galilee and took his eyes off the Lord, got his eyes on the circumstances and began to sink, right? Cried out, O oh, Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out, pulls them up, and says, you know, why would you doubt, oh, you of little faith? And then finally, in Matthew 16, verse 8, with regard to food. Every time that phrase is used, oh, you of little faith, it's always used with regard to worrying about life and life's necessities. And further, the Lord only directed it at his disciples, never unbelievers, as a rebuke to correct their unbelief. He's basically saying to them, you know, you who are my disciples should know better. You have a father in heaven who's watching over you, who's promised to take care of you. What are you worried about? I think in essence, in a roundabout way, the Lord Jesus Christ is really saying to those men back then and us disciples today, he's saying something like this. He said, look, you believe that the Lord God created the entire universe out of nothing by simply the word of his power. Furthermore, you believe as his children that he can touch your heart, forgive your sins, save you, transform you, and take you to heaven to live with him forever someday. But you have trouble believing he can supply you with food, clothing, shelter, and everything else you need to live? Jesus is saying that makes no sense. It denies the father's care, his concern, and calls into question his character. Because he promised to take care of you and I as his kids. He's promised to provide what we need in the area of the physical. Paul echoes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, when he said, And my God shall supply, hopefully will supply, shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at these verses once again, where Jesus commanded his disciples not to worry about the physical, because of the three things that he lists here, okay? First of all, three lessons. Why we aren't to worry about our our physical needs, because, of course, we have a Father in heaven. But look, lesson one, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Listen, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? How do you argue with that logic, right? Lesson two. Look who's in charge of your life. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, in both the NASB and the NIV, and there's maybe others I didn't check, all of them, uh, the two translations I did check, they translate that, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And the Greek could be translated both ways, with regard to height or length of life. And I think the context indicates he's talking about the length of life here. Because that's what they're worried about, right? Food, clothing, you know, how am I going to live? How am I going to survive, right? So it makes sense that the Lord is using verse 27 to speak of the length of our life. Who's in charge of the length of our life? God is. Jesus is saying you can't add a single hour to your life through worry. But listen, you can sure subtract enough of them. In other words, you can worry yourself to death, but not to life. Nobody's ever worried themselves to life. Worried themselves to death, yes. One author put it this way, said, and I quote, Our culture is obsessed with trying to lengthen life. We exercise, eat carefully, supplement our diets with vitamins and minerals, get regular physical checkups, and do countless other such things in the hope of adding a few years to our lives. Yet God has bounded the life of every person. Exercise, good eating, and other common sense practices are beneficial when done in a responsible way and looked at in the right perspective. They no doubt can improve the quality and productivity of our lives, but they will not force God into extending our lives span, End quote. And the devil will constantly try to get us to worry about life. I remember years ago talking to a young guy who was coming to our church. He was going through a period where, and I was convinced it was the devil really hammering on him, but he was going through a period where every ache and pain was cancer, and that was it. Every ache and pain, oh, this is it, okay, it's, it's got to be cancer, you know, something serious. And then he went to the doctor, got checkups and all that, and he was fine. But it was really torturing him, this, this worry about dying. And I said to him, look, you're not the first person that the devil has ever tried to use that against and i said look let me just tell you what to do okay when you start feeling that way here's what you do you just take some time get alone with the lord and say lord look there's no point in me worrying about the length of my life my life is in your hands as somebody has said until god is through with us nothing in the universe is going to take us off this planet and when god is through with us nothing in this universe is going to keep us on this planet a second longer You say, well, that doesn't really help me too much. Hey, that's all I can give you. You rest in the sovereignty of God. Because worrying about it is not going to extend your life. It may shorten it a little bit. So why worry about it? You can't change it anyways. My life is in God's hands. Now, I'm responsible to take care of myself. Some people would, you know, use that in a bad way and go to an extreme and, you know, abuse that. We don't abuse God's grace or sovereignty. We have a responsibility to take care of our bodies. They are the temple, of the Holy Spirit. And Paul has some pretty strong things to say about that in 1 Corinthians. Where, you know, this is God's temple. We should be taking care of it. But ultimately, God is in control of our lives. So why worry? It's not up to me, you know. Just trust God. That's why the psalmist said, Lord, teach us to number our days according to wisdom. But what do you mean, teach us to number our days? I don't know how many days I have here upon the earth. That's the point. Let me paraphrase. Teach us, Lord, to make every day count because I don't know how much longer I got to live. That's in your hands. So teach me to make every day count. That's the way you should live your life. Lesson one, look at the birds of the air. Lesson two, look at who's in charge of your life. Lesson three, look at the lilies of the field. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, or flowers in general is what he's saying, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He's not talking about designer clothes, by the way. He'll make sure you got something to wear. God's promised me he's going to... He's going to clothe me, and I like that designer stuff. Well, you know what? He doesn't say that here, okay? But, folks, this is what's called an a fortiori argument. Arguing from the lesser to the greater. How does it work? Let me show you. If God is concerned about the least of his creation, to take care of birds and flowers, is he not going to do the greater which is take care of his kids? It's pretty simple logic, but compelling so worrying about the physical first of all degrades our fullness secondly it denies our father thirdly worrying about the physical denigrates our faith the dictionary defines the word denigrate as and i quote to deny the importance or validity of end quote look faith is vitally important to the christian life faith is what gets you into the christian life right Saving faith. When you exercise saving faith by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are then born of the Spirit. You are now a child of God. But that's not where faith ends. That's only where faith begins. After that point, God expects us to walk in faith every day. It's not saving faith. It's practical faith. In fact, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Look, as we said last time, faith is our spiritual umbilical cord that connects us to God and allows everything we need to survive and flourish, not just spiritually, but also physically, to flow from God into our lives. Worry strangles and cuts off that flow. And Jesus is basically saying, look, as children of God, when we worry about our basic necessities, it makes us no better than the unbeliever who has no Heavenly Father to watch over him or her. And so they have to worry about their basic necessities because they are not children of God. God has made them no promises with regard to providing for them. Does he sometimes provide for unbelievers? Yes, because he's a gracious and a good God. But it's not guaranteed. We as children of God have been guaranteed by our father. He will take care of us and provide what we need to live. And Jesus basically is saying that in verses 31 and 2. Talking to his disciples, he said, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek another way of saying unbelievers. They worry about those things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Look, Jesus taught us earlier in this section. When he taught us to pray, he said, look, you don't need to go into long, lengthy prayers, giving God all the details, right? Repeating your prayers over and over again as if God's hard of hearing. He said, your Heavenly Father already knows what you need of before you ask. So just get in there, present your request, but spend time worshiping him. Don't worry about these physical needs. Therefore, Jesus went on to say in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. What things? All the physical things you need to live. Seek. In the Greek, it's in the present imperative. Present means an ongoing thing. Imperative is a command. Jesus is saying, Seek and keep on seeking. It's a command. What? First, the kingdom of God. First is a Greek word that means the number one priority of life. Kingdom, Basilea in the Greek. There's a word that means in this context, God's sovereign authority over every territory or area of your life. In other words, Jesus is saying, first and foremost, seek fervently and daily the rule of God over every area of your own life. Your home, your marriage, your children, your actions, your speech, your thought life, your job, your money, your time, and then... Seek fervently his rule over others in the sense where you support and pray for missions and for an an evangelism and so on. This and this alone is to be the concentration and preoccupation of our lives. And Jesus is saying if we make this God's authority over every area of our life, if that becomes our passion and our heart's desire where we keep praying for it and seeking after it every day, then Jesus is saying God will take care of all the physical needs that you have. Now, is Jesus saying if you're backslidden as a child of God, he won't provide your basic necessities? No, he's not saying that, and I believe he will. But what he is promising is he definitely will, if you're walking with him and concerning yourself about his work, his kingdom, believe me, he will definitely take care of everything else you need in the physical. In other words, folks, Jesus is saying don't live at the level of the physical like unbelievers and animals. But understand that he wants you to live at the level of the Spirit and make that your heart's desire. All right. Worrying about the physical degrades our fullness, denies our Father, denigrates our faith. And number four, worrying about the physical destroys our future. Verse 34 Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look, worry happens today, but it's always directed at tomorrow, isn't it? And so in that regard, worry debilitates us today and destroys our tomorrow. Think of it this way. Worry exaggerates problems. When that happens, fear steps in, and fear often paralyzes us with inaction. We don't know what to do. We're worried, we're sick with fear, we're paralyzed with an action, right? And in the process, our future blessings are taken from us, listen, often by things that never become a reality. Have you realized that? How many things have you actually worried about that never wound up coming to pass? I mean, I think of the, the women who went to the tomb that first resurrection Sunday morning to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. And what was their conversation on the way to the tomb early that Sunday morning? Who's going to roll the stone away for us? That's a 4,000 pound rock that they placed in the the opening of that tomb. How are we, some tiny gals, going to roll that massive boulder away from the opening of the tomb? They were consumed with worry about that. When they got there, what happened? An angel had already taken the thing and tossed it off to the side. What they were worrying about when they finally got to that point was never a problem. So often life is like that. We worry about things in the future, and God's already gone before us. So that by the time we get there, He's already taken care of it. And we worry for nothing. And what does that, have done? What did that do? It robbed me of my joy, my peace, my fellowship with God. I was consumed with a problem that never materialized. Look, Jesus is commanding us not to worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow is going to have its own troubles. And a lot of times it's not the things we worried about today for tomorrow. It's just God's gone before us taking care of those problems that we thought we were going to have to deal with. But what has happened is we have new troubles. New troubles. So plan for tomorrow, but don't worry about tomorrow. And remember, people who worry about tomorrow lose the victory for today. I'm convinced that God only gives grace for each day. And all the problems and troubles of that day. God will never give you the grace today for tomorrow. Or the next day. Or next week. Or five months down the road. Which is how we operate, isn't it? We're not sure how we're going to do this. Oh, Lord, how am I going to get through this? God said, well, I'm only going to give you grace for today. Tomorrow I'll give you fresh grace for those issues. Don't start piling on yourself yourself. Tomorrow, next week, next month's worries. It says one author said, and I quote, No man ever sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. Never load yourself so, end quote. That's how you get nervous breakdowns. That's how you get high blood pressure. We start worrying about things down the road that often never materialize. Another offered this advice, and I quote, Leave tomorrow's trouble to tomorrow's strength, tomorrow's work to tomorrow's time, tomorrow's trial to tomorrow's grace, and to tomorrow's God. Good advice. However, more importantly, God has said this in his word about worry. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He said to the Apostle Paul, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus, right? And I think the words of Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, are also appropriate here. Peter said, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Hey, if He's watching over me, then I don't have to worry about anything. I'll let him worry about it. He doesn't worry about anything, does he? He's got it covered. Look, I like what author Warren Worsby says as we wrap this up. He said, and I quote, Worrying about tomorrow does not help either tomorrow or today. If anything, it robs us of our effectiveness today, which means we will be even less effective tomorrow. Someone has said that the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. It is right to plan for the future and even to save for the future, but it is a sin to worry about the future and permit tomorrow to rob today of its blessings. Look, Thanksgiving Day is almost here. A week from this Thursday we'll celebrate one of our greatest national holidays. Several years ago when I was preparing a message for Thanksgiving, I came across a quote, and I'd like to read it to you this morning as we close. It comes from the famous stress researcher. There's people out there that actually research stress. To me, that's got to be a little stressful. But the famous stress researcher Hans Seeley. Claims that two attitudes more than any others influence the quality of everyday life. And on these two emotions depend our peace of mind, our feelings of security or insecurity, of fulfillment or frustration. In short, the extent to which we can make a success of life. The most destructive emotion, he says, is revenge. But in contrast... Among all the emotions, there is one which more than any other accounts for the absence of stress. Now, we're talking about worry, right? Stress brought on by worry. He says there's one emotion more than any other that will alleviate stress. And I'm thinking of the worry, too, that causes it. He said one more than any other that accounts for the absence of stress in human relations. And that is the feeling of gratitude. Thanksgiving. Now I didn't read this gentleman's research. I don't know all that he has written on the subject. In assuming what he is saying is correct, after years of studying about stress and worry and and all the effects it has on the body and on the psyche and so on, he concluded that the most damaging emotion to fuel all the negative emotions is revenge, and the one that is the most positive that seemed to alleviate the stress and worry is a heart of gratitude. Assuming he's right, and I believe he is, why is he right? He might not even know. I'm going to tell you why I think he's right, based on Scripture. And Paul alluded to it in Philippians 4, verse 6, when he said, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and what? Thank him for all that he has done. Look, when you're going through a a difficult time and you want to worry about something, take some time, get alone with the Lord, and instead of worrying about it, pray. Bring it to God. And then as you pray, begin to remember all that God has done for you in the past. As you thank Him, what are you doing? You're remembering the past, aren't you? Oh, Lord, I remember how you came through. My back was against the wall three years ago. I was out of work. I mean, the mortgage was due. We had no food in the car. Man, Lord, we just came to you and we prayed. And you came through. You're remembering the past. And all the good things that God has done for you. What does that do for the present? Strengthens your faith. Didn't David do this? You read the Psalms. David found himself oftentimes facing death. Running from Saul. Uh, People wanting to kill him. All kinds of things. What did he do? He said, I woke up in the middle of the night and I thought about the good things of the Lord. How he has taken care of me and protected me and watched over me in time past. What did that do? As he thanked God for what, he has, what God did in the past, it built his faith in the present. And when faith increases, worry what? Decreases. So I think it's a very valid thing to say, look, it's... And some of you came up to me uh, this week and after service last week and said, man, you know, I'm a worrier. I'm a worrier. Now, even after we have finished with this teaching... And you listen to this today and go, yeah, well, that's all great, but I'm I'm a warrior. I understand that, okay. I come from a long line of warriors too. <laughs> I like to tell you I'm very calm. Now, my son Phil is that way. He's very calm, okay. I mean, he's so calm it makes me worry because he sh- <laughs> he should be worrying about things that because he's not worrying about it, I got to worry about it. <laughs> but. I'm a worrier too. Now, over the years, God has really helped me with this. And one of the things I do when I begin to get overwhelmed with worry about any situation, I just take some time. I get alone somewhere. Maybe I'll put on my iPod with some worship music, just singing to the Lord, reminding myself of His goodness, His greatness. I begin to think, like David, of times past. How he's provided when we were new in ministry. We couldn't rub two nickels together. We didn't know where the house payment was coming from, where food was coming from, where a lot of things, basic necessities were coming from. And we prayed and God always provided. What am I worried about? If he's been faithful all these years, why am I worrying? I'll tell you what the devil tells you. Well, he's not going to provide for you this time because you've walked away from him. You're not as close to him as you used to be. You're not worthy anymore of God taking care of you. That's a lie from the devil. Are you still one of his children? God's kids? You'll always be one of God's kids if you've opened your heart to Jesus. Now, my kids growing up, there were times when they were really obedient, and I just enjoyed blessing them. There were times when I went through these rebellious periods, and I, you know, it was not real good. During those times, I never said, get out. Or you're not eating dinner tonight. Or I'm not going to take care of you in this way or that way. I love my kids. And even if they weren't always as close to me because of rebellion and things, I always made sure they had everything they needed. Because that's the love of a father for his kids, right? Our Heavenly Father feels that way. Do we always measure up? No. When we don't measure up, does he disown us and cut us off? No. No, he may not be able to do all he wants to do in the area of blessings. He'll never cut you off from necessities. So what are we worried about? It's a slap in our father's face to say, Father, I don't think you're going to come through for me. I know what you've said. I know what you've promised. I just don't think you're going to do it. How does that make him feel? We think because he's God, he doesn't have any feelings really. He rises above all that. Hey, look, I'll tell you what. Think about this. Let's use your kids for example. Use my kids. I could punish my kids for rebellion. I could punish my kids for disobedience. Ingratitude, there's nothing you can do. It just hurts. What are you going to do? If your kids just flat out don't trust you, they don't trust your character, they're not thankful for all that you have worked so hard to give them, that hurts the heart of God. And so let's realize that we have a Father in heaven. Who has promised to take care of us. Who does not want us to live at the level of the flesh. He wants us to rise to the level of the spirit because that's where he dwells. He wants us to reach the fullness of all he has created us to be. Faith, yes, very important. But faith is a muscle. It grows and is strengthened as you exercise it. So begin to exercise faith. Trust God. And then when he comes through, journal. Or write it down. Or remember it. Because the next time you need to draw on that experience and say, you know, Lord, you were so faithful last time. Boy, I didn't know how that was going to, Where the money was coming from for this or that. But we prayed, we trusted you, and you came through. Thank you, Lord. And I fully am convinced you're going to come through for us again. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you taught us, Lord Jesus, with such simplicity and yet so much compelling common sense. What do we have to worry about? We belong to you. You did the greater in saving us. Can't you do the lesser in sustaining us? Well, we know you can. And we thank you, Lord. We just pray that, Lord, you would give us grace to stop worrying to draw closer to you that your spirit might fill us more and more pushing out all the worry all the anxieties casting our care upon you because you care about us filling us with your joy your peace and your love we just thank you lord father we ask all this now in jesus name amen